Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. This is our 2022 review show. We hope you enjoy it. We've got a tremendous array of poets who write wonderful poetry and have very interesting personal stories. During this year, we reached our 200th episode, and that was a special with Tanya Tagak. You'll hear a little bit of that. And a little bit of a lot of other poets. So we'll get started with Ashley M. Jones, who's the first black poet laureate of the state of Alabama. And because of that appointment, she got quite a bit of really wonderful press. And here's a poem she says she's been reading all over the place, since, especially since getting the laureateship. And uh, in fact, she read it on Good Morning America just a little bit before she read it for Poetry Spoken Here. So I'll read a poem that I've now called My Greatest Hit, one of my greatest hits. Um, and it, it's weird for me to say that about my own work. Like, I'm definitely not, I am a Leo, but I'm not that kind of Leo. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I termed this My Greatest Hit because I've been reading it so much this year. I feel like I can't make two turns without reading this poem. And this poem is actually the one that I read on Good Morning America last month. So it's it holds okay. a special place in my heart um so this is called all y'all really from alabama mm. and um, it's about racism in america it begins with an epigraph from dr king the straight jackets of race prejudice and discrimination do not wear only southern labels the subtle psychological technique of the north has approached in its ugliness and victimization of the negro the outright terror and open brutality of the south Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Why We Can't Wait. This here, the cradle of this here nation. Everywhere you look, roots run right back south. Every vein filled with red dirt, blood, cotton. We the dirty words you spit out your mouth. Mason Dixon is an imagined line. You can theorize it or wish it real, but it's the same old ghost, see-through, benign. All y'all from Alabama, we the wheel turning cotton to make the nation move. We the scapegoat in a land built from death. No longitude or latitude disproves the truth of founding father's sacred oath. 
We hold these truths like dark snuff in our jaw. Black oppressions, not happenstance, it's law. Our next poet is also from down south in the United States. It's Jonathan Maya, and he is the poet laureate of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The amazingly interesting thing about him is that he is consciously working on keeping alive the language of Kudavini, which is almost extinct. And the fact that he's poet laureate is just wonderful because it gives him a platform that he can use to promote the language, to make people aware of it, and to help keep it from going extinct. He's working at it, and we're happy to be part of getting his message out. Here's Jonathan talking a little bit about the history of Kudivini. Thanks so much, Mr. Charlie, for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so yeah, Kudivini is, like you said, the endangered Creole language uh, of Louisiana. Uh, it's uh, something that my family spoke. Uh, I'm the first in a couple generations to actually speak it uh, in the family. It was lost for a while due to, Amer- of a, due to Americanization. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's been around since the 1700s. There's court documents that explain uh, that sort of portray that uh, in uh, some sort of court recordings, uh, people speaking it as lingua franca. Um, so it's it's been here quite a while uh, prior to the, the sale of Louisiana and also prior to the Haitian Revolution. Now we hear a poem he wrote. First, he'll read it in Kudavini, then in English. This one I wrote for, um, I wrote last year for the Arts Council of Baton Rouge or well, for also Baton Rouge itself. Um, But, you know, after a time of uh, going through um, the, again, the Corona age and not really having a lot of time to spend with friends um, and going through some other things that we've had down here, this is what I wrote. It's called En Haut La Garderie. Et quand dernière fois nous avons visité En Haut La Garderie? Pendant au moins un an et demi, nos pas passé paradis. Rouroulé con son neige, chien jappé, grain tombé. Soleil qui fait la tête beau à nourrir l'air fraîche. Pieds nouillés, touchés, pierres, planchés, désert. Marteau frappé, scié coupé, machine galopé. Zozo yehele, zozo yehele, zozo yehele. Mon is allé mourir pareil et cabanye. Mais spérez un moment. C'est pas printemps? Non, mais ça fait joliment beau et brillant d'ailleurs. Allons profiter et l'aimer en attire. Ou aider et bâtir à briller nos amis. Restez prendre un café côtéier. Ou bien inviter pour visiter en haut la garderie. This is called On the Porch. And when's the last time we visited on the porch? For at least a year and a half, paradise hasn't passed. Wheel turning, horn sounding, dog barking, seed falling. The sun who beautifies the earth nourishes fresh air. Bare feet touch stone, plank, and grass out there. Hammers hit, saws cut, machines run. Birds chirping, birds chirping, birds chirping. People and animals repairing their homes. But wait a moment. Is it springtime? No, but it's pretty beautiful and brilliant outside. Let's enjoy and love nature or help rebuild our friend's shelter. Stay there for coffee, perhaps for more. Or even invite them to come visit 
on the porch. Now, somehow, I found out about Marty Gervais. He's in Windsor, Ontario, and he has a most interesting book that I could really bond with. It's about hitchhiking across Canada in the summer of 1968. And so uh, a road tripping book I can really relate to. And it's interesting to see what it was like for him traveling in Canada in 1968. Anyway, let's well, hear the poem. <laughs> well, it was in 1968, and I had only I had heard of Gordon Lightfoot. I could never afford to go and buy a, a ticket uh, to go and see him at the riverboat in, in Yorkville, uh, the village. But this was the first time I actually heard him on the radio. That early spring of 1968, on a cool Saskatchewan night, and I paced the edge of the highway, daydreaming the sweep of open fields, certainly praying under an ink-black sky that rested solitary and present over me like the palm of a hand. When a preacher swerved to the side of the road in a dusty green Plymouth Belvedere, I spotted the flashing red ribbon taillights that wrapped around the knife-edge crease running down to the bumper and heard the man shout if I needed a ride. I hopped in, eager to be on my way, and talk soon turned to Jesus and forgiveness and morality in the Psalms, and I asked if he could turn on the radio. And that's when I first heard that voice sailing up and out this preacher's car, a voice that spun in the still prairie air, the blur of notes like the landscape whistling by. And I told him to turn up the radio and that he'd have to stop talking and listen, and said if the apostles had this man's voice, there'd be real hope to cling to. And we wound the windows shut and grew silent in that precipitous moment, feeling the highway stretch clean and straight beneath us, murmuring as endless prayer. Another Canadian we were very happy to have, Tanya Tagak. She is an Inuit throat singer from way up north in Nunavut. She, that's above the Arctic Circle, and she has a wonderful book, Split Tooth. I would call it genuinely uh, trans-genre. It's not quite autobiography. It's got some poetry in it. It's got some very poetic prose in it. And it was a real treat to have her on the show and reading from the book. Tanya got the Polaris Award up there in Canada in 2014 for the Album of the Year, that's the equivalent of getting a Grammy. She's really big time, even if you haven't heard of her. So I'm really happy to give you this opportunity to listen to her. She's uh, episode 200. Tanya was our big celebratory 200. And here she is. There are too many foxes this year. It usually happens in a four to seven year cycle, all dictated by the rains and melt. Plenty of rain means that the lemmings and their young are forced above ground, where they, where they are easy prey for the fox pups. If too many foxes survive, there won't be enough food for them when winter comes along. They populate the dump, and all garbage cans in town are full of them. I once saw five foxes in one rusted garbage can. 
Some become rabid and all the children need to walk to school carrying a stick, preferably with a nail in it. All of the houses in Nunavut must be built on stilts because the permafrost makes it impossible to sink foundations. The space under the house makes a perfect hiding place for foxes. Foxes are such steadfast and mysterious creatures. If a wolf and a lynx, lynx mated, perhaps their love child would be fox, who seems to embody the uncanny agility and size of a cat coupled with the strength and durability of a canine. My friend Eugene had to get rabies shots in his tummy after being bitten. It did not look pleasant. I was proud of him for not crying. Let's avoid rabies. My father and I go out with the handgun to kill some foxes, satisfying dry cracks and snaps of sound as the gun goes off. I feel like a hero for an instant, saving the foxes a slow death of starvation. My father is strong, self-assured. I hope that someday this fortitude emerges from my fragile physique. The foxes run, the foxes die. I mourn them, but I understand that there is danger in mourning for those who would not mourn for you in return. Empathy is for those who can afford it. Empathy is for the privileged. Empathy is not for nature. Our family had dogs that would have to be buried or put out of their misery. My father always took care of his work even if it was mercy killing our family pets. He did it without allowing room for regret. He just did it. Like how we are all born, like how we all die. No choice, only action. These foxes will die of starvation. Better to put them out of their misery. These foxes will harm school children. Better to put them out of their misery. These humans will destroy the earth better to put them out of their misery. Right now, we are earth eaters, but I want to be a blood lover, an oil spewer, someone with a great wingspan, a spirit sipper, a flesh licker. I want it all. I kill a mountain of foxes in my dreams. Mercy killings, but I do enjoy it. Now, for episode 189, we did our Open Mic of the Air. This is the 11th episode of Open Mic of the Air. And it was always a treat to see who comes out of the woodwork and sends us a recording of their poem that we can put on the air. We like to have a mix of people, and uh, we always get them. This is Wendy Hind from Lincoln, Nebraska. And Wendy uses poetry for healing her own purposes. She had medical problems in the family, and uh, poetry was a great solace for her. Here are two short poems from her. Good afternoon, Charlie and Jack. My name's Wendy Hind. I'm coming to you today from Lincoln, Nebraska. 20 years ago, our son was born with a life-threatening and chronic heart condition. Uh, He's 20 years old today, but I have found poetry as a means of understanding and helping others with issues of illness and health and healing. In addition to longer 
form of poetry. I've begun writing short poems and putting them out on the internet and social media to help others. The first one is called Flatline. She comes down the hall carrying a book with a gold cross hanging from her throat. I turn away and do not speak to her. Go somewhere else. My son is not dying today. That poem was written after a particularly harrowing night when our son literally uh, flatlined on the table. The next poem I'd like to read for you today is called Nighttime Boys. And this poem stems from my hatred of spending the night in the hospital. Nighttime Boys. I make up the hospital bed for my husband. It's my penance. I hate sleeping in the hospital. I hate the cold, the glow of the monitors, and the sound of the nurses laughing outside our room. My husband promises our son will live through the night. They have a pact. They are the nighttime boys. People sometimes ask me, how do you find these poets? They're so diverse and so different. And, well, I don't always remember. But this one I do because I went to an open mic, one line, out of Chicago. And in the course of the evening, this one person's poetry really grabbed me. I thought, whoa, I really, I've never heard of her. Just a, not famous, just a poet person who writes excellent poems. Her name is Teresa Ziglowitz. And so for episode 190, we had her on the show. And what was, in addition to her poetry being so good, Teresa was out there at Standing Rock during the protests and worked with the kids in a school that had been set up. And so this uh, poem you're going to hear will give you a little bit of insight of what life was like for her out there during a time of crisis. So, so this poem is called Rally at the Capitol. So this is one of the um, few poems that, that doesn't happen at the camp in the book, um, or at least in the first two thirds of the book. Um, but yeah, there was a big demonstration, as you said, Charlie, um, at the Capitol in Bismarck that the, the camp all kind of showed up to. Um, so this is Rally at the Capitol, Bismarck, North Dakota. Camp bursts from buses, vans, opens like an agate on the state-sponsored lawn. Uniform and overmode blades obscured now by bright jingle dresses, jewel-toned, I stand with standing rock tees. Water as life signs float like sails, let us believe our collective bodies could be a boat. Ricardo shares a sketch a small girl placing a flower in the gaping throat of a gun. The ends of red fawn's ribbon skirt flutter like the cobalt butterflies back at camp and everyone chants, protect the sacred, protect the sacred. We round dance, rise and fall like one set of lungs. Our skyward fists are a release of balloons. And none of this requires the rows of National Guard men swaddled in riot gear, matched in ill-fitting pants. I lay on the grass beside a huddle of quiet kids. RJ asks why there are so many cops, so many guns, when nobody has done anything violent. Sherry says they want us to start getting afraid. 
the monolith of men shadow us like the brutalist building they line up before. The obligatory blankness in their faces blurring and disappearing. The bowed lips, birthmarks, moles, the small asymmetries their lovers must think of at night. Jim Cohn is the kind of guy, I admit him, I thought I should have known him years ago. He's been associated with Naropa Institute for decades. He has a new book, Treasures for Heaven. And uh, so while we were uh, hearing his poetry, I made sure to get him to tell us some things about what Naropa was like in the early days, back when they first founded the Kerouac School of Disembodied Poetics. Jim was there, and he talks about it right now. It was, it was the most vibrant poetry scene I'd ever seen before or since. Um, it was a lot of, it was a lot of passing on the torch energy at work, I think behind it. Mm -hmm. um, the beats were, in their 50s, more or less. Um, to us today, we're older than they were when uh, they opened Jack Kerouac's School of Disembodied Poetics. But I'm telling you, you could sleep in in the morning, uh, but you wouldn't get home from the after parties that came after these insanely uh, mind-blowing poetry readings after incredibly lively panels, uh, arguments, uh, lectures, uh, and, you know, by 82, the school put on the Kerouac Conference, uh, and that brought together people from across uh, popular culture. And the primary thing about it was the Beats and their associates were important figures in the politics, in the culture. And so a lot of that transmission was happening there. A whole lot. I'd like to say everybody who's at a writing program anywhere on earth uh, gets the same things that I did, and maybe that you did, Charlie, but I sort of think I got something that, for one thing, kept me writing, hmm. you know, for 40 years yeah. afterwards, as if this was the stream of consciousness I was living in, and I was uh, traveling down. Yeah. Yeah. It had to be incredible. Uh, People like Corso, Gregory Corso, Philip Whalen, and Waldman, Allen Ginsberg, who of course was the big attraction. Um, you had the great women writers of the New York School, Alice Notley, you had Bernadette Mayer. Uh, people were coming and teaching. Uh, in eclectic ways, not particularly straight up academic ways, not particularly with tests, uh, not particularly 
I remember my first class with Ann Waldman where she turned me on to Frank O'Hara. And Frank O'Hara was like a major blast of, uh, of poetry, of what poetry could do, what it could say, uh, how you could say it, how you could say anything. Mm. Um, and I was over at the University of Colorado at Boulder taking classes in the Romantics and uh, taking classes in James Joyce seminars and Shakespeare. But then I go over to uh, an Europa class and the response that uh, students are giving from reading a poem are like, wow. I mean, that was, that yeah. was all you needed at Naropa was just to basically be alive. You didn't have to be a critical analyst, you know. Uh, it just was a place to discover poetry. That's episode 195, Jim Cohn. And just recently, on episode 204, we had Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Violet DeFang. She is a new film out, which is about Nushu, a secret language used by Chinese women from several hundred years ago. And they actually managed to have this language that men did not know. They couldn't read it. So the women could share their feelings, their support for each other, their love for each other. We learned about Swan Sisters as part of that uh, episode. An interesting concept I'd never run into. And uh, here's Violet reading a couple of poems that are from those days. So this is a poem that I wanted to read about really um, the love between sisters that they have. Mm. And uh, so it's, it's about sisterhood. And you actually um, have, a, you know, like a lot of these poems that they will use um, birds or like um, trees to describe their relationship. It's, it's really beautiful. So this, this um, poem goes like this. We three and four swore to be sisters, like beautiful flowers and tree blossom in the same garden, like rivers converge from thousands of miles apart, like birds rest on the same tree and chirp together. I have another poem that actually I didn't use it in the film, but it's also really lovely about sisterhood. And this is actually describing the sisterhood that they had in later on their years. Um, so oh good, do it. It's it's actually um talking about their relationship and as the older you know mm -hmm. generation together, which is also really beautiful. It goes like this. We swore sisterhood not when we were young, but in our sixties and seventies. We were not afraid that people would laugh at us. We were only angry that we had waited so long. A bridge across a long river to be walked for a lifetime. This one sisterhood of we seven will go on and last forever. And finally, we have a reading from the Unamuno Author Festival, which took place in Madrid back in the spring of 2019. Araceli's Girmay reads her poem in both Spanish and English. I thought it would be nice to end up with a poem uh, read in two languages. And I'll close before I introduce someone um, with um, <laughs> da, da, da. Um, with um, this poem, Ars 
Poetica, and thank you, Curtis. I was like, is this okay? Is this? I'm not giving him responsibility for the translation of this, but I did have some questions at the last minute, so thank you. I'll read it in English and then Spanish. Ars Poetica. May the poems be the little snail's trail. Everywhere I go, every inch quiet record of the foot's silver prayer. I lived once. Thank you. It was here. Arte Poetica. Que los po poemas sean el rastro del caracol pequeño. Al a cualquier lugar donde vaya, cada pasitito, un registro de la oración del pie. Viví una vez. Gracias. Fue aquí. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you'll go back and avail yourself of more information and poetry that interests you from what you've heard here today in this review show for 2022. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This has been Poetry Spoken Here. Be with us again next time and all through 2023 and on into the future for Poetry Spoken Here, where we let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>